excited to be here. Uh, if you're here for the first time, I don't know why you would want to go anywhere else. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm a little biased. You know, you do love your family more than anybody else, right? But I want to just say this. Uh, even if they weren't my family, the, the genuineness here uh, kind of drips off the place. I mean, there's a genuineness here that is a very encouraging, and, and it uplifts my spirit. And, uh, and I think that this, uh, this is a wonderful location. And I think as, and I, I want to say things. I, I'm, I, every time I preach, I, I ruffle feathers. Because I, when I read the scriptures, it ruffles feathers. Jesus ruffled feathers. And let me tell you something. As our society starts to devolve, and it is devolving. I'm sorry. This is not evolution. It's devolution. We are going in the opposite direction. People are going to look for answers, and they're not going to find them in other churches. Religion just won't work. Only Christ can save. And he has to be present in his Holy Spirit. And this is a place where you can come and God can minister to you. And uh, I just, I'm just super, super duper encouraged uh, to be here. So let's uh, open up our Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 13. And let's pray together because I need prayer. Father God, I'm, uh, I am, I'm grateful. Um, I'm grateful. I, I, I'm just, I'm grateful. And I'm grateful for the abundant grace. I mean, you know, the first song that we sang there, God, you know, your, you know, your love reigns. You know, and I, and I tell you that for me, the way that you demonstrate your love better than any other time is not when I'm doing everything right. It's when I fail. It's when I refuse to give you because out of fear or stubbornness or whatever, refuse to give you what you want. Lord God, you don't cut me off. You know how easy it is for me to cut people off, Lord God? Lord God, I love them when they're cooperating with me, but if they create too much trouble in my life, I want to separate myself from them. That's my nature, but that's not you. Once you call us, Lord God, you are committed to us, Lord God. And I'm asking that your Holy Spirit not only reside on us, but nurture us into the fullness of who you want us to be. I pray that you would challenge our hearts. I pray that you would encourage us, that you would lift us out of complacency, Father God. I pray that you would fill this sanctuary once again. You have given us such a wonderful building, Lord God. We should be having multiple services, Lord God, multiple services, because we hold the truth. You've given us the truth. And I pray, Lord God, that your truth would set us free every time, Lord God, that your truth would set us free. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. And I'm speaking to the people who are, are watching us online. And believe me, I, this is not an accusation in any shape or form. Unless you are physically unable to attend church, you need to attend church. I'm telling you right now, there's an element of us being together that needs us to be together. There is no such thing in this book or who Jesus saves us to, to be an alone Christian. And I'm just telling you, you're in danger and you're cheating us of your presence. We have a gift to offer you, and we believe that the Holy Spirit has a gift for us in you. So please, if you can attend, break out of the routines of being at home and come fellowship on Sundays. That's my, that's my, that's it. We're going to, I'm serving. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's, let's look at this uh, word here. So starting at chapter 13 of Matthew, verse 1. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you've got your own Bibles, I'm going to tell you to underline things. One of the things I don't want to be, I never wanted to be a cheerleader. You know what? I, I think this neighborhood, uh, I don't think they're overly bowled over by cheerleaders. You know why? Because everybody's got to go to work. Everybody's got to pay their bills, and that only goes so far. So what I want to be is a waiter. A waiter simply takes the food from the cook and doesn't drop it and brings it to the table. And that's what we're going to do today. Because I want you to go back and look at the scripture that we're going over. Because you know what? I could be wrong. I don't like to admit it, but I could be wrong. Okay? So let's do this. Chapter, one, chapter 13, verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house. Underline that. That same day. And he sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat. He sat in it. All the while the people stood on the shore. 
He told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came up and ate it. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but the soil was shallow. And when the sun came up, the plants were scorched. They were withered because they had no root. The other seed fell amongst thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, thirty times what was sown. Whoever his ears, let them hear. You know, that's the truth. I'm a firm believer that anyone who's come to faith in Jesus Christ has not made a good decision. You have been saved. It says to me clearly in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 that before God created anything, he had a plan. And in his plan, Jesus would come to save his elect. That means there was a list. I know that that aggravates people. I know that that makes people uncomfortable because what it sounds like is God is choosing some and not the other. Well, that's true. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just saying that he has the right to do that. One of the things that the Holy Spirit teaches us to do is to let go of our ideas on how God should run the universe and let him be God, right? So if you're here and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you didn't make a good choice. You have been called. You have been pulled out and you have been pulled to. He has called you specifically by name. That's important. That may not be important if you've been a success in your whole life, but to a guy like me, that's really important because I was not a success in my life. I was a deliberate failure. And I'm not going to go into that because it doesn't matter anymore. Jesus has saved me, and he has saved you, and he has saved us. So he has called you deliberately. Okay. The disciples came to him. This is verse 10. Why do you speak to the people in parables, they said? Because the secret knowledge, listen, the secret knowledge of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Not to them. Whoever has will be given more. And they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For the people's heart have become callous. They hardly hear with their ears. And they have closed their eyes. That's the worst blindness that we can have. You know that. We've all dealt with people who have permanent blindness because of people like that. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are you because your eyes can see and your ears can hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long ago longed to see what you did, but they did not, and to hear what you hear, but did not. Okay, we're going to stop there because Jesus gives us the, uh, the, the unveiling of this scripture, but we're going to kind of unpack it a little bit to ourselves. First of all, one of the things that I want to say is that as we look at the parables, the parables in particular, we have to take into account the events surrounding the teaching because sometimes when Jesus is teaching, he's teaching as a reaction to the things that he's seeing in the culture around them. That's why it says, in the same day. So there was something happening in that 24-hour period that prompted Jesus' teaching. And you know what? Just as it was uh, important back then, and it had a, a, a context for the day that he was in, it still has context for us today. You know why? Because even though that was 2,000 years ago, you and me and them ain't that much different. We ain't. You know what? The world loves to separate us, and I think that there's a beauty in all the nationalities, all the, 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 the peoples in this world, but you know what? When you boil it down, there's a lot of similarity between us. There's a lot of similarity between we have to remember that Jesus is not teaching from a curriculum. He's teaching in a way that reveals to the people what they might not be readily willing to say. I want to say this, and I say this not as an insult, but just knowing us as humans. We all have a tendency to operate in denial because denial is oftentimes more comfortable than revelation. Most people, most people, unless they have by grace been given something different, have a resistance to anything that opens up or unveils 
what threatens the easy attack. Don't know about you, but I love easy. Probably been my problem my whole life. Didn't like the hard path. Right, Nick? Man, I hated the hard path. You know what? I tried hard to stay away from it. That was the, the most effort I put into anything. We don't like revelations that threaten the status quo. I don't like that. We don't like when anything threatens our personal persona that we are comfortable in presenting to the world around me. One of the biggest uh, temptations as when we start to grow in our walk with Christ is to present ourselves as something that we know we should be, but we're really not quite yet. Does that make sense? See, one of the big enemies in the Gospels are the Pharisees. And everyone's like, oh, these Pharisees. What a bunch of hypocrites and liars. If I were anyone in this, first I would have been the prostitute that Jesus saved. And then I would have the temptation to be a Pharisee after he saved me. Because you know what? The truth is, it's scary to be vulnerable. Is, it, is that just me or is that everybody? And you know what? One of the things that we love to do, he talked about it today, how the woman came in and she broke open this bottle. And when she broke open that bottle of perfume, can I tell you something? Every nose in the square feet around that smelled the abundance of the aroma. But you know what happens if she doesn't open up that bottle? It just looks pretty on the outside. What's inside doesn't get cast out there. Nobody gets to enjoy that. You just get to look at it. And sometimes that's what we could be in church. Pretty on the outside, right? All marbly and look real straight up and shit like that. But inside, I never allow myself to be broken, right? You want a church that gathers people who are dead out there? Be a broken church. Be willing to unveil and uncover. And you know what? You're going to find some people are going to reject you for that. That's okay. That's okay. But you know who will never reject that? Jesus. You know how I know that? Psalm 51. It says, the contrite and lowly heart, O Lord, you will never despise. For I am close to the brokenhearted. That's what Jesus said. Do you want the closeness, the comfort of Jesus Christ? Then be willing to be broken before him. Be willing to be broken before people. Personally, personally, and I don't want to take too long, I don't care what people think of me anymore. I don't. I'm far worse apart from grace than you could ever imagine me being. So let's keep moving forward. Jesus will always be a comfort to the elect, those who are covered by grace. You know why? Because one of the things that grace teaches me is that he knows everything about me. He knows what I think when nobody knows. You know, I have conversations. Does anybody, or am I just a crazy one here? Don't agree. Do you have conversations with yourself? Do you ever talk kind of like semi out loud with your lips on your lips? You know, my wife always goes, what are you talking about? And I always go, no, your business. <laughs> you know why? I don't want her to know what I'm talking about. Because sometimes I'm talking about things that don't matter, and sometimes I'm talking about things that happened 15 years ago, or sometimes I'm rehearsing things that I really shouldn't be rehearsing. So can I tell you something? The one who knows us better than anyone else is the one who has given us grace. When he died on the cross, he died for my past sins, my present sins, and my future sins. Does that mean I get to sin without imputation, without any worries? No, that's not what that means at all. But what it does mean is I don't have to, I don't have to present myself as something I'm not. I don't have to worry about what someone else thinks of me because God knows me. He knows me. Not only does he know who I am apart from grace, he knows who I am in grace, which is way more important than what we were apart from grace. So Jesus will always be a comfort to those who are covered by grace, but he is an insult and a threat to those who are secure in their own sufficiency. I come in contact with that many times where people walk out on what I'm saying because they are much more comfortable in their own sufficiency. Well, Jesus doesn't give us that option. As you see Jesus walk through the pages of the gospel, he does not give Israel that option, and he does not give us that option. The easiest way for you, if you want to write something down, this is a good one. The easiest way for you and I to have very little or no growth 
is to not let Jesus trouble your heart in any way. To listen to this, go, yes, that's true, and do nothing about it. You can come in here and walk out of here the same way. But when Jesus touches you, your hair is going to be messed up. So let's let Jesus mess our hair up. Jesus and his disciples are now being scrutinized. The self-righteous, the politically established, the wealthy have already made their minds up. This Jesus is not their idea of the Messiah that they want to follow. They will not allow themselves to be ruled over by a peasant king. This reveals God just being in their presence is revealing their hearts. But do you know who doesn't know that? Them. They don't understand it. They got the scripture. They know the scripture better than you and I ever will know the scripture. These are gifted men who are taught by gifted men. They spend copious amounts of hours pouring over scripture, knowing the truth, looking at how the connections are in scripture. They know the scripture. But you know who they don't know? The God who wrote the scripture. That's a real serious threat. It's a real serious temptation. So they're looking to amass a list of reasons why Jesus must be put away. Let's look at the general public. They can't seem to make up their minds. They love the miracle food multiplying king because who doesn't? They love a king who heals their diseases and encourages their hearts and tells them that they've been given the kingdom of God. But they can't really get super excited about the level of commitment that Jesus seems to be asking for. That's never changed. Jesus asks us to have a commitment to the point of us dying to ourselves. That's not my interpretation. That's Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Anyone who wants to follow after me must deny himself, pick up his cross, meaning you're walking toward death. I will lead you to self-death. Why? Because John the Baptist did it. When I leave, he starts to fill the void. This is still a struggle for 60% of every church that preaches the truth. There are 40% who hear and they start to walk in response because you're never going to get perfection. You're never going to have it 100% work for you this side of heaven. But there will be 60% of hearers of all the truth in every truth-giving church that will hear, walk away, and be unaffected. That needs to stop one person at a time. Today, let it be. If you're that person, I don't know. Don't let it happen this time. You know what? I, I just want to say this. I was thinking about it when we were worshiping. Has everybody been baptized in this church? If not, why not? Are you part of a men's group that uh, meets together? I know there's a men's Bible study that meets there. You know what men are called to do? Lead this world. Lead their families in sacrifice and love and commitment. Man, I want to see men rise up. This country needs us to do this. Women have been doing their fair share. Now we need to rise up. Are you part of that men's group? Today would be the day. Just the perfect thing. All I got to do is say, hey, who's got that men's group? I'm a part of it. I'll be there. Yeah, you know what I'll do? I'll cancel this so that I can be there. You know what? I haven't been baptized. Who's willing to stand up and teach me, bring me through the blue book? You know what that does? That's a double blessing. The person that's called to, to take you through that blue book, they get blessed and you get blessed. You see? See, this is how the... The body of Christ works. This is how God is exalted within his body. Am I making sense? Okay, his disciples are with him, but they're quickly realizing that Jesus doesn't do what he wants them to do. You, does that make sense to anybody here? Yeah, that's one of the first things that I get from Jesus. He don't listen to my opinion. I don't think I've ever heard a man, hey, Tom, what do you think about this matter? You know what he usually says? Hey, listen, stay out of my way. I really want you to just to follow me. Well, but, but Jesus, I, you know, I know exactly what you're saying, and it's really going to cost me. Yeah, yeah, I know that, but trust me, if I tell you you're going to cost here, I'm going to give you a hundredfold over here, okay? So his disciples are with him, but they're quickly realizing that Jesus doesn't do what, he want, what they want him to do, and it's always a mental battle to continue forward as a disciple. This is another truth. Write it down. It will always be a mental battle as to continue. You know, one of the things that I thought about from the beginning I got here, man, there are people that are giving their best. This guy right here, they, you can tell this guy writes on his notes the day before. He thinks about it. 
Man, there are people that are coming here. They're putting effort into it. You know why? Because they want to bring something that's pleasing to the Lord. And can I tell you something? God blesses. He really does. Of all the things you want in your life, the blessing of the Lord is the number one thing. The blessing of the Lord. You could be skilled. You could be talented. You could be gifted. You could be well-resourced. But anyone who's got the blessing of the Lord is the richest of them all. Okay, so there will always be a mental battle. This is the struggle of our faith. Because Jesus seems to be taking them deeper and deeper out into uncharted territory. I'm going to unveil it. This is a, uh, yeah, this is going to unveil it for you. It looks like I'm almost like uh, telling you the end of the story before the beginning. That's what he's doing with all of us. You know that, don't you? If he gets you here one week, he's not just looking at the next week. He's looking at the month after and the month after that and the year after that. He wants your kids, he wants their kids, and he wants their kids. So if you think that he's just going to be okay with you giving him 10%, get that out of your mind because he ain't. What he'll do is he'll make you feel empty. He'll make you feel empty. You know, you don't, I'm telling you, guys got a way of making us do what he wants us to do. This is an eternal, eternal truth, and here it is. The deeper that you go with Christ, the greater the cost. It will always be this way. So now let's look at this. It's now the middle of the second year of Jesus' ministry. Jesus seems to be drawing a heavy line in the sand. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to this earth, for I did not. I came to bring a sword, not peace. What is he saying? He's saying, I will have no one compete for my throne. And you know who your number one competitor is? You. My number one competitor for the authority of my life has always been me. Everybody likes to blame the devil, but I don't think he's the number one guy. It's me. It's us. And Jesus is drawing a line in the sand. I'm willing to separate you from you. So that's what he's doing. The religious elite and the educated expect a Messiah that would rule out, rule with power and conquer the enemies of peace. But here's another thing for you to write down. I believe that Jesus needs to conquer man's heart before peace can ever be thought to be achieved. I'm going to say that again. Jesus needs to conquer my heart before I can ever think to live in peace. Until Jesus rules over my heart, I usually, unless you're different than me, have conflict within my own self. Is this true? Or is it just true for me? No, it's true for us because you know what? We're the same. We're the same. So until he takes over that, so I'm going to have conflict in my heart. And when I have conflict in my heart because I'm not at peace with him, guess what? I won't have peace with the people around me. So if you look at your life right now and you see a lot of areas where there's turmoil, I got turmoil with my wife, I got turmoil with my husband, I got turmoil with my kids, I got turmoil with my sister, my mother, my brother. Listen, don't worry about them. Start to examine your own relationship with the Lord. What is it that he wants to lead you in? Because once you start to walk in peace with him, and that's available to us in Jesus Christ, that's what grace wants for us to have. Trust me, peace with them, even if they're unpeaceable, will be achieved. Will be achieved. I like to say this. In salvation, God gives us the righteousness of Christ. He implants the righteousness of Christ in my heart, which then prompts beauty in character. We need beauty in character. You know, I went to a Celebrate Recovery meeting. Man, I was so encouraged this Friday by the men and women who came there. You know why? They're working on their character. And where there's harmony, beauty, and character, there's harmony in your home. And where there's harmony in your home, I'm telling you, there's order in the city. When there's order in the city, there becomes peace in the world. It's the way God chooses to conquer and bring things into right relationship with him. Does that make sense? Sorry, I'm so excited, but I can't help myself. I can't help it. First event. Let's look at the first event. Jesus' disciples are picking handfuls of wheat on the Sabbath. Jesus is threatening the authority of the religious elite. He is also threatening tradition, suggesting that the teachers of the law don't even understand the intention of the law. 
I'm going to tell you this. This is the purpose of the law of God. We need to know these things. That's how we move beyond grass or milk, mother's milk, and we move to meat. This is the purpose of the law. You can write it down if you choose to. The first, it is to convict us of our rebellious nature and inclination. Paul tells us the law was added unto us so that sin would become utterly sinful. We would never have known what sin was apart from the law. Paul even says it in Romans chapter 8. He says, if no, chapter 6, he says, I would have never known what covetous was, not, was until Christ came and showed me what perfection was. And all of a sudden I realized, oh, man, I have been covetous my whole life. So it tells us of our rebellious inclination and our broken state. I want to say this. When Jesus finds us, he finds us broken. This is a tough world. I'm sure of you have many stories of when you were growing up and you were raised by broken people who did broken things. And I'm not blaming anybody. You know why? Because they were broken just like I'm broken. So how would they know how to operate? So guess what broken people and hurt people do? They hurt people and they break people. And I want to tell you this, another thing about what the law does is it tells me I'm not just a victim of sin, I'm sometimes a victim of my own sin. And I also sometimes victimize others by my sin. So that's what the law's first intention is. It also shows me of my glaring human insufficiency before a holy God. Our good works, not good enough. You know why? Because when you're comparing yourself against me, yes, you can stand on your own merit because I'm not that great. But when you stand opposed to Jesus Christ and he's the opposite side of who's going to be judging you and his life judges you, we fall to insufficiency. So that's the first part of the law. The second part of the law is wonderful. It opens up our eyes to the beauty of God's character. In the law, we see a vivid illustration of what God desires for us in life. He wants us to find rest in his desire to provide for us. That's why he tells us to not work seven days a week. You know why? Because you and me, if you're like me, I believe, yes, I know money's not that important, but it's hard for me to say no. It's hard for me to say no. Why? Because I believe if I've got just a couple more hundred dollars in my bank account, I'm going to be a little bit more secured and a little bit more insured against possible loss or emergency. Amen? Amen. But Jesus is saying, no, no. I'm the one you need. I'm the one who sustains you. That will mean nothing if hell breaks loose. So in the law, he desires for us desires for us to know that he desires for to be our provider he desires to sustain us he wants us to enjoy our homes he wants us to enjoy our families he wants us to even enjoy the food that we have he wants us to enjoy a good meal god is not stingy he's by the law giving us what is good and he's giving us boundaries without boundaries you know what happens we become anarchists when we make ourselves the center of the universe, you know what that happens? You're the center of the universe, you're the center of the universe, and guess what? Everyone starts going in their own orbit, and you know what happens then? Collision. Bam, bam, bam. Amen? So God gives us this. He wants us to know that if you listen to him, if you see his beauty, he promotes health in your life. That's the beauty of the law. So now let's look at the second thing that happened in that same day. Jesus heals a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath day. That's a no-no. Why is it a no-no? I don't quite know, know why it's a no-no. But I'm going to tell you something. One thing that didn't come across is that they cared that this guy had a withered hand. They cared that nobody did anything on the Sabbath, but they didn't care that this guy had a hand that needed to be healed and Jesus could do it. I don't get it. And you know who else didn't get it? The Pharisees. They didn't get it. So then he goes from there, and what happens? He exercises a demon. The Pharisees, the Pharisees then see their own power and authority is dwarfed in comparison. So they, they accuse Jesus of being in league with the devil. Revealing this, there's always limitations to religion. Resist the urge to make this religion. You know what religion is? 
coming, maybe even knowing the real God, but never handing over the deed to your life. Coming in, going out. Clocking in, clocking out. You can even serve. Religion always has a limit. This is a living faith. God wants to give us the fullness of grace, which is the fullness of his pleasure, his presence. This is what we want. I'm going to tell you, this is why we come here. This is what's going to call dead people out from graves. You know what? The world's full of religion. Guess what? As we get closer to the end, there'll be 10 times more religions than there are today. You know why? It's, it's the only thing they can come up with. Jesus is like, I'm the real thing, baby. Ain't nothing like the real thing. Okay. Jesus heals this. The, the, the Pharisees see their limitations. They see that there's a limitation to their, uh, their religion. And Jesus then reveals the hardness of their heart. One of the things that we can do to become more fruitful in our life is this. Let God convict us of areas of hardness in our heart. I'm going to let God work on that himself. I don't know. I don't know. The third thing, the religious leaders demand a sign. But in reality, nothing is going to change their mind. Here's a good truth for you. Unbelief is a moral disposition more than it is an intellectual objection. Unless God opens up our eyes, we simply cannot see it. Then the last thing that happens before this parable, Jesus' own family comes to rescue him, rescue the family name from Jesus who seems to be hell-bent on starting a fight with the government. But Jesus makes it very clear. He's 100% aligned with his father, and he's 100% committed to the ones that God has called to himself. You know what? That's a great encouragement for you and me. If you've been called by Jesus Christ, Jesus is 100% committed to you. He who has eyes that do not sleep, he who has arms that can touch and move anything, who has no limits to his power, is 100% committed to you. You. Okay. But he's also making it clear that if you're not with him, he's willing to walk away from you. He's willing to separate even from blood relationships. In a very practical sense, you know what that means for you and me? We have to be really careful who we're hanging with. If they're not moving toward God, they will have a greater impact pulling us away from God because gravity works in their favor. That's why we need each other. That's why it's important for us to not Watch TV church. We need to be here. We need to be in fellowship with one another. It's simple. Invite people over for dinner. We could do it today. We all eat dinner. Who eats dinner? Anybody eat dinner here? Yeah. Invite someone to dinner. Invite someone out for a cup of coffee. Make it happen. I'm telling you, God blesses, blesses the body of Christ. So in a very practical sense, Jesus is speaking to anyone that is connected to him that if they aren't moving closer to God, then they will be moved, they will be influenced to move away from God. Okay, let's get back to the parable. Jesus seems to come to a point where he's closing the doors of opportunity. By his own confession, he's obscuring his teaching. He will now begin to harden the resistant heart of those who will never accept him. That's hard to understand. But can I tell you something? This is another powerful truth. Don't our best buddy he loves us with a love that we can't even humanly comprehend don't mess around with god don't mess around with god when he opens up a door don't if you're fearful to move forward tell him tell him say lord i'm fearful i need you to give power to my feet when we were saying oh lord god we love you you know what i said lord god it's not enough about my love i just need your love to make me love you better i trust his love way more than i trust my own Okay, let's keep moving. Am I boring you guys? Okay, let's keep moving forward. Okay. Let's look at that first soil. The first soil is hard. It is a well-traveled path because why so many feet have pounded it down. It is dry, compacted, and filled with pollutants. It is clear that Jesus is directly indicting the religious elite. Strangely, 
they look the holiest. So can I tell you something? Holiness may not look the way you think it is. Holiness might be the heart that bleeds for the lost. You know, one of the things that I thought this Friday was that was a holy group in there. You know why? Because addicts can frustrate people. Amen? Ever, ever deal with an addict? They frustrate you. And you know what? You're quick to want to go, hey, go figure it out on your own. But when a church starts to care about the ones that everyone else is like, hey, listen, I got enough problems on my own. Man, that's what holiness looks like. That's what holiness looks like. Okay. Strangely, they look the most godly. They have heard the truth. They even believe the truth. But experience has taught them to not to go to extremes. You might be hearing this message, and you might be tempted to say, don't go to extremes. No. Jesus says, go to extremes. If you know value, you invest in it heavily. I know value, and Jesus is value. So for me, I live Christ. Do I do it perfectly? No. Follow me around a little while. You'll see. Am I prone to get angry? Oh, yeah. Impatient? Sure. Hang with me. But you know what, though? Man, when I fail, I get back up. I say, I've done it again. Please rescue me. Lord, what do you want me to do next? Where do you want me to go? I am not happy with status quo. Lord God, you are the value of my life. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what Paul said. That wasn't because Paul was great. He saw Jesus as being great. Okay, so he's talking to the religious elite, but I believe he's also talking to the shop owners by the seashore who's doing their work every day. I believe that Jesus is talking to the traders that are taking their products in and out of Capernaum. I believe he's also talking to the housewives that are coming to buy their supplies throughout the day for dinner. They hear Jesus, they see the crowds, but they just don't have the time. See the temptation? See, immediately when we read this story, we're thinking, well, I'm not the hard path. <laughs> Maybe in some areas. I don't know. But I, I know that there's always a temptation in me to not hear what Jesus is telling me to do, to not give him the time. And, you know, sometimes I'm going to say the truth. I've even struggled in prayer for the last, I'd say, two years. You know why? Because I feel like the closer he gets me, the more he wants from me. And I feel like, man, I, I give him enough. I don't want to give no more. So, I, I, you know, I've learned to do, I've learned to be honest with him. I'm like, Lord, I, I'm a little leery. I'm a little leery. I'm tired. I don't want to do this no more. I need for you to be the strength for me. Can I tell you something? He, he, he honors truth. Be truthful with the Lord. Be truthful with him. Let's look at the second soil. The second soil is shallow. It's very rocky. In an immediate sense, Jesus is telling anyone that they're connected to Jesus, they're going to lose. You know, what, you know what it costs for you and me to follow Jesus? A little time, a little effort. But for them, they were going to lose family. They were going to lose status. They were going to be kicked out of their society. There are people today, 60% of Christians today, following Jesus costs them dearly. Remember this, and I always remember this myself. Jesus tells me, to whom is given much, much is required. All I'm going to do is look a little weird in this society. But that's okay, man. I was an addict. I always look weird. I don't care what people think about me. I'll take this life over that life any day. So they were going to lose. They were going to lose everything. The naive hear the truth about God's saving love, but they will never understand the depth of the battle that they are entering into. We are fighting a world that will never welcome Jesus. Why? Because Jesus threatens our ideas about who we are. We are fighting a battle of our flesh. Your and my greatest enemy is our flesh. My flesh wants to resist God. Yes, am I saved by grace? Do I have the Holy Spirit? Yes. But my flesh is still very much alive, pinned to that cross. And it's always talking to me. Don't do that. Don't give that. What are you, crazy? Stop doing this. Man, listen to me. Don't listen to that. Is that just me or is that anybody else in this house? So that's the shallow soil. They'll never understand 
And finally, they don't understand that they do have a devil, a devil that is an organized enemy. He's a supernatural enemy. He influences our governments, our systems, and our culture. You ever feel like the systems in this world stand against us? Well, there's a reason. Because it hates your king. The one who rules it hates your king. Because he can't get at the king, he wants you. He wants to frustrate you. He wants to kick you down. He wants to make you feel like you're a number. But you're not. You're not. You're a saint. You're a child of God. You're called by God. All right, let's look at this. The third soil is good soil, but the vine grows along thorns. This is a crowded heart. There's lots of competing, uh, there's lots of competing affections. Can I tell you something? Our time, our talents, and our treasures will always be invested into the things heaviest that we think matter most. The crowded heart will believe, but they will not produce. You know why? Because they won't make themselves available to the Holy Spirit's cultivation. You want to build fruit? You want to, you want to bear fruit in your life? It's not by doing this. It's by being available. Hanging with one another. Reading the word together. When you have prayer meetings, this place should be booming. Man, you should be looking with excitement to come here on Sunday morning. Man, I want to sit next to my brothers in Christ. I want to sit next to my sisters in Christ. I want to greet them in the morning. I want them to greet me because when I'm near you, I'm built up. I need you. You can only be you to me. That's the beauty of Christ. He uses you specifically to be specific things to me. And he uses me to be specific things to you. The one who doesn't is the one who says, I'll sit. After it's over, I'll go, praise God, brother, sister. I got to go back to my life. No, this is your life. No, we don't add Christ to, G to our lives. Jesus is our life. Amen? Can I get an amen? amen? All right, listen, here's the last part. Five minutes, five minutes. Stick with me, five minutes. This is how we produce fruit. This is what fruit looks like. Fruit looks like, first of all, 30, 60, and 100 fold. Okay. Only good soil produces good fruit. If there's no fruit in your life, then you have to question your own profession of faith. I've, I've told people straight out, people wanted to be baptized. And I'm like, brother, you're still smoking dope? Still treating your wife like she's a dog? I'm not baptizing you. What do you mean? Who are you? This guy said, who are you? Told everybody in the church, who are you to judge me? I go, I ain't judging you. I'm just telling you what I see. No fruit, I question. And you need to do. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork. That means you are a masterpiece in Christ Jesus. A masterpiece. He created you to be a masterpiece in Christ Jesus for what? Good works he created in advance for us to do. That seems to me that this is an if this is true, then that is true statement. If you avail yourself, allow yourself Make yourself available to the work of the Holy Spirit within the body, abiding in the vine. You will bear fruit. You know what that fruit could be? Encouraging someone who's thinking about taking their life. You think that's a lie? Do you know what they say? 40% of the people in the world under the age of 30 think about killing themselves weekly. You think that's a lie? You think that that's some kind of a slogan? No, no, people are desperate. You know why? Because they've seen our government's a big liar. <laughs> they say they got the answer for everything. They, they don't. They got an answer how to make themselves rich at your expense. Hey, I'm just saying. So here, this is what we look like. We need to live a fast life. Faith-filled. That means I have a growing confidence in the trustworthiness of God. I have a positive and confident outlook. I am pessimistic by nature. My wife could be the person, if an if a airplane knocked out 90% of our roof, she'd go, look, we still have 10%. And I'll go, are you crazy, woman? And she'll go, no, you're not seeing it right. No, I'm seeing it right. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. Part of faith-filledness is believing that God's got it. He says this in, in Isaiah chapter 40. He goes, why do you complain, O Jacob? Why do you lament? God has forgotten you in your trouble. He 
coming to my home while asleep? You think I'd forgotten you? Man, God is watching you. And when you go into difficult times, which you're going to, he's led you there. He didn't just fall asleep and say, oh my gosh, how did they get there? How do I get them out? No, no, he leads you there and he stays with you there until he accomplishes there what he wants to accomplish there. That's the beauty of the sovereignty of God. That's the beauty of grace. We need to live a faith-filled life. When I believe faith-filledly with a positive, confident outlook, I will have a greater propensity to cooperate with God. Listen to what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 58. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is never in vain. Nothing you do in Jesus' name is worthless. If you give so much as a glass of water to someone who's thirsty in Jesus' name, you have given it to him. And guess what? He says at the end of time, I will separate those who didn't and those who did. And I will say to those who did, you did it to me. Come with me. Man, that excites me. That makes my skin alive. Man, this isn't a dead religion. We have a living king, a living God, a God who is able and powerful to change. We need to make ourselves available. This is a byproduct of living faith-filledly. That when I live available, I will always make room for that which we believe is worthwhile. If I believe that what I'm doing will pay dividend, I will do it. Saving faith will always offer time and effort to the things that God sees as important. I'm so sorry. That's a good baby. That is one good baby. I have another baby that she screams at me from the back. And I'm like, that's a preacher right there. She's going down the corners. That kid's going to be in fifth grade. Repent! You know, I'm just telling you, that's a good baby. So be available to the Lord. Third, be spirit-filled. That means I will take every opportunity and make myself available to interact with the Holy Spirit. And finally, this brother's coming up. Let's stand up. Be teachable. Be teachable. You know how you do that? It's real simple. I realize that I'm not who I once was, but I'm not who God wants me to fully be. You and I are works in progress. Amen? Know this, that I don't have all the answers. I'm not always right. I don't always see things correctly. And, I, and the feeling that there's a need for change, can I tell you, means a step in the right direction, but it's not enough. Even in Celebrate Recovery. You know, it's not just for people who are using heroin. It's people who can't get over past hurts. People who remember when their father ducked out of their family. Or a mother that was mentally abusive to them. Or a sister who robbed them. Stole from their family. And they just can't get over it. Because I'm going to tell you something. If you think you could just bury it under the rug, you can't. It'll come out. It's like nuclear waste. Jesus is saying, I know it. Trust me in this. Don't just see it. Trust me with Solomon because I'm going to use it to a place where you can get rid of that thing. Be teachable. Let's worship. God, I love to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision. To see things like you do, God, I look to you, you're where my help comes from, give me wisdom, you know just what to do, and I will love you, Lord, my Hallelujah. 
You've been called out from there. You're no longer living an individual life. That person next to you is a part of your very own body. You are now in the body of Christ. Okay? So we're going to do something. We're going to hold somebody's hand. We're going to touch somebody. Don't worry. Nothing's going to happen. Touch someone's arm. Get close. Don't stand off by yourself. Man, get closer. People want to touch you. They want to be touched by you right there. Please, come closer. Come closer. I know I'm going to make, man, if I'm here, I'm going to make people uncomfortable. Man, come across. That's right. Do it. Brother, please. Can I ask you to come here? Thank you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please. Listen, man. We need to get to the place to where I care about what's happening on my right and my left. More than I care about what's happening here. You know what God promises to do? If I stop looking at that mirror and start looking over here more, he'll take care of here. It's kind of a strange thing. So let's pray together. Father God, you are awesome in all your ways. And Lord God, please, if I have insulted anybody, forgive me. I, that, that's not right. But Father God, please, we want you present fully and abundantly. We're asking you to bring deliverance to this place. We're asking you to ease those bounds that have kind of wrapped around us for a long time. Those feelings of insecurity and insufficiency, Father God. Help us to believe what you say about us in Christ. Help us to act in accordance. Help us to live out the grace that you give us, Lord God, with vibrancy, Lord God, so that the world around us that's shrouded in darkness can see it, that this place would be a light, Lord God. Please, Lord God, this building is open for you to use the way you want to use it, Lord God. This is your place. This is not a church building. We are a church body. And we praise you, Lord God, with one voice and one heart in Jesus' name. And every saint said, Amen. Amen.